can remain standing for the reading of God's word from Psalm 103. Psalm 103, page 502 in your pew Bible. This is the word of the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. It is all that you want it to be, hammer and fire, Uh, whatever our soul needs, and we pray that uh, that would be so this morning, that you would uh, send it to us with your spirit, um, that we might learn from it and apply it and know you more because of it. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We are a culture obsessed with fresh starts. Probably 80% of the commercials I've seen since Christmas have been about starting anew. In fitness, in nutrition, in relationships, in saving for retirement, Uh, advertisers know that when the messiness of our lives closes in, when we feel like things are out of control, we think, I just need to start again. I just need a clean slate. Well, the God of the Bible does not need any fresh starts. Nothing is ever off kilter with him. Nothing fatigues or overpowers or disorients him so that the only fresh starts with God are for our benefit. And those he gives out very generously. In fact, that's really the point that I want to make this morning that as we move into a new year, what we really need 
deep down is not to exercise more or to learn a new language or get our finances in order, although those are good things. What we need in our soul is to be renewed by God's grace, to start fresh with the hope and the joy and the comfort of the gospel, which is the only fresh start that never fades. It is evergreen. And in the psalm, we will see why. Psalm 103 is a psalm of David, great warrior poet of Old Testament Israel. He composed psalms in all kinds of different places, all kinds of different times in his life. And so for that reason, uh, I like to say, and I've probably said here before, that the psalms are like the Bible's app store. When the Apple app store first came out, the tagline was, there's an app for that, leaving the word that undefined. Because it didn't matter what you wanted. If you wanted to get your finances together or learn chess or traditional French cooking, uh, there was an app for that. And similarly, no matter what emotional state you find yourself in or hope to find yourself in, you can find it in the Psalms. There's a psalm for that. Praise, lament, joy, fear, confusion, hope. It's all there in the Psalms. But this psalm in particular is interesting. It is of David, but it is a little less Davidic if you know how David normally sounds. Derek Kidner says the tone here is less harassed by enemies or private guilt. Instead, Psalm 103 puts a kind of laser beam focus on God. Now we could argue that all psalms are about God, but... This one is particularly fixed, so that other commentators say it's an exercise in sheer concentration, or a great piling of words about God, about who He is, and what He has done. This song kind of reminds me of being with a new baby. Uh, We have some close friends that had a baby this week, and my wife and I are due in May, And so when you hold a baby for the first time, especially if it's your baby, you become a a sort of professional baby inspector, right? I mean, you're looking down and you notice everything. You notice his nose, his eyes. I say his because we're having a boy. Uh, His little lips, the, the peach fuzz on his ears. And so you examine this baby narrowly, but you also wonder more broadly, what will he be like? Uh, What will he find joy in? What sort of work will he turn his hand to? Who might he marry someday? Of course, we just came through the Advent season in which we celebrated God himself actually becoming a baby. So in Luke 2, we read that while Jesus was still in the manger and the shepherds came, Mary, it says, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. No doubt she held and and looked at and fed the baby that would one day give us a fresh start by the force of his character in fulfilling the law and by the blood of his sacrifice for our sins. David doesn't understand all of this fully yet, but he is ready to treasure up and ponder the things of the Lord in his heart, and he does it with praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. David turns his whole inward being toward God 
and toward his praise. He repeats, bless the Lord, O my soul. And goes on, speaking to himself, speaking to his own soul here. And forget not all his benefits. What are those benefits? Verse 3. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is high, high praise. And notice David repeats four times he uses the word all. He wants all that is within him to praise the God of all benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. Many of us are not all people. I don't think I am. Uh, I like to think I'm more nuanced, but maybe that's just more skeptical or more pessimistic. I try not to get uh, up too high or uh, get down too low. And sometimes that's a good thing, but it's not a good thing when we're praising the Lord, right? When we praise God, cautious people like me should, should throw caution to the winds. And we should praise all of God with all of our being. Reminds me of a C.S. Lewis quote. Sometimes it feels like pastors are contractually obligated to have a C.S. Lewis quote in every sermon. So here's mine. Uh, in the weight of glory, Lewis says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Amen. We are too easily pleased by our devices and our uh, Christmas gifts and our sports teams, unless you're a Razorback fan and then you're not satisfied at all. Um, We're far too easily pleased with these things to take the governor off and let all of our hearts praise all of God. And so I'm not encouraging you to not have devices or teams or gifts. You should just put those things in their proper place. Now, God's proper place is on the throne receiving praise. But what's amazing is that even when he's on his throne, he stoops, verse 4, to crown you with steadfast love and mercy. Alec Motyer, the great Old Testament commentator, passed away a couple years ago, points out that this is two sides of God's divine love. Mercy is his compassion, his uh, passionate love with all of its emotional content. And then steadfast love is God's committed and covenantal, determined and fixed love. When those of us who are married said before witnesses, till death do us part. And so before we move on, some of you probably paused, uh, maybe had a little catch in your thoughts when you saw in verse 3 the phrase, who heals all your diseases. Maybe you're suffering uh, something yourself. Maybe you have a, a loved one who is, and certainly there are faithful people in all of our orbits who simply are not being healed. We think about all who we prayed for earlier. How do we begin to deal with that as Christians? 
What's interesting that here in one verse we read of iniquity and diseases. We've got the spiritual and the physical uh, right here in one verse. And there's a difference in how God deals with those two things. Spiritually, in Christ, God is always ready to forgive. Uh, he, is never, he never does it grudgingly. That no matter the sin, no matter the situation, God is always uh, the Father hiking up his robe and running out to meet the prodigal. But diseases God often treats differently. Derek Kidner points out, if relationship with God is paramount, then this makes good sense. For sin destroys our relationship with God, but suffering deepens it. And so often we are left waiting, Romans 8 says, for the redemption of our bodies. So God's healing is sure. We hope for it in this world but we're certain of it in the world to come. So one last thing uh, in this section regarding the eagle in verse 5. For a couple years out of college, I lived uh, behind the bald eagle sanctuary at Dollywood. Uh, I don't know if there's one of these at Silver Dollar City, but you could reach out my window and touch the, um, the fence, the netting, uh, that was at the back of, of their sanctuary. And so I can confirm that the eagles never seemed old or tired. In fact, they woke me up very early every morning with this very loud sort of chirping that they did. And at least once I saw an eagle get loose. Uh, and he seemed very youthful and vibrant and happy as he soared high above my house. I'm not sure how they got him back, but I'm sure they have methods to get those eagles back. But... Um, Anyway, David gets very specific as to God's redemption in history in verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. He's talking about the great story of the Exodus, God saving his undeserving people and guarding and guiding them into a new land, a good land full of milk and honey, and then... David quotes almost verbatim in verse 8 the self-definition of God from Exodus 34 when God passes before Moses. A God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then verses 9 through 12 I think are really some of the most beautiful in all of the Psalms. And so I'll read it and then we'll go back and consider it. David sort of crescendos his thoughts of God's steadfast love and mercy in this way. Verse 9, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Amen and amen. Now this uh, chiding in verse 9 has the connotation of someone bringing uh, a lawsuit against another. But God, who could very justly bring a suit against each one of us, does not do this. He doesn't nurse his wrath in that way. His, his grace and his mercy are too eager for that. And so we see verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins. 
I mean, think about that. The God who sees all of our sins, who sees uh, all that we do wrong and sees all that we fail to do right. The God who sees uh, everything that happens in secret and out in the open does not handle us that way, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Meyer says, sins here are the actual commissions and omissions, while iniquities points to the, the hidden warp or defect in our nature that gives rise to sin. In other words, though you are bad, God treats you as if you are good. He has mercy on you. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is one of those parts of scripture where the words, the poetry, are so measured and so beautiful that you almost hate to comment on it. Like you're trying to add something to to the Mona Lisa But what David is getting at is the immeasurability of God's love. Uh, How high is it as far as the heavens are above the earth? How far is it as far as the east is from the west? Um, When I was a younger man, my wife and I met working at a uh, Young Life camp in Colorado, taking high school students on backpacking trips. And we would often read Psalm 103, uh, at the top of the Continental Divide, it's a very moving experience uh, to read as far as the east is from the west. And to be able to look and see literally uh, as far as the eye can see to the east and as far as the eye can see to the west and that infinite distance. And so this is really the gospel. This is the good news a vast, eternal heart-shaking importance that you, Christian, being a sinner and having that, that warp of sin in your heart and having piled up sins your entire life can come before the throne and the one who sees everything will not see your sin. However far east is from west, you cannot see it. Right? So, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The only way to explain that is through Jesus Christ. Because Christ has paid for our sins in such a way that, that they vanish from the eyes of God. We cannot be condemned for them because Christ has already been condemned for us. Alec Montyer says the implication of God's love here is that it prevails or dominates like a warrior in prowess and that we can compare it to Genesis 7 where the flood prevailed and covered and dominated. In other words, your sins, though they be many, are prevailed on and covered and dominated by the God who stooped so low as to become a little baby and who in his life piled up acts of love and mercy in fulfillment of the law, and who died an atoning death on the cross so that uh, the flood of God's love could be unleashed. And if you've repented and believed in Jesus Christ, 
then in God's, uh, God's judgment on you is that your sins are gone. Not that they are behind his back or not that they're uh, sort of out of his field of vision, which is to say not really gone at all. No, it's that your sins have been drowned in the waters of his love. And more than that, you receive a crown instead of condemnation. I mean, that is the best news on earth. That is better than no money down. It's better than a fulfilling career. It's better than anything that you can dream of and want in this world. And I think it brings hope uh, to the pain and suffering that you experienced in 2018. And some of you felt that pain most acutely at Christmas when you uh, longed to be with loved ones who passed or are estranged or when you wished for the simplicity of, of childhood that's gone forever or when uh, you beat yourself up because you felt so sad when everyone else seemed to feel so happy. And that's, that's the double-edged sword of the holidays. And so a new year, a new start is two-edged as well, because with hope comes fear, that that hope will not be realized. But perfect love, Scripture tells us, casts out fear. And so as Christians, we take hope and comfort and forgiveness. And in this next picture in Psalm 103 of God as, verse 13, a father who shows compassion to his children, for he knows our frame. Verse 14, he remembers that we are dust and our days are like grass. We might say that God knows our frame and our name. He knows the, the inner warp of sin in all of us, but he knows our name as well. He knows us individually, and what we've been through and what we hope for in the future. As for man, David says, Verse 14, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower and then is gone. It's a good point, right? Some of us are in uh, the flower where we're in the, the flourish phase of life. Some of us feel the wind passing over and know that our days are numbered. But either way, we should pay close attention to our souls. David pays such close attention to his soul that he uh, speaks to it. He preaches to it. So we should forget not all his benefits. It's far easier to forget than it is to remember, right? I mean, the Israelites forgot. God told them he was merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He led them out of slavery with a mighty hand and Pretty soon they were worshiping a farm animal made of gold. It's hard to remember. But verse 17 is the contrast. If men and women are flowers and dust and grass and a, a stiff breeze can, can end us, then uh, God is different. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. In other words, God is faithful to his people. And he never tires of doing them good 
because, verse 19, he has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So when our resolutions fail, some of them have failed already, right? Uh, When the new start of 2019 wears off, when unexpected tragedy breaks down our door, God will still be on his throne. He'll still be ready to flood you with his grace. That's why we sing that, that beautiful William Cooper song, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. What a strange illustration, right? But it, it goes on, the first line, drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. William Cooper should know he battled depression and mental breakdown his whole life. He survived many suicide attempts. He was committed more than once, and he probably died in despair. I mean, talk about stained, right? He's with Jesus now. He has a new start, and he's happy because believing despair is better than unbelieving pleasure. And one day in his courts, David says, is better than a thousand elsewhere. Why? Because as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And therefore we can join with David as he closes out Psalm 103, calling all things to praise God. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Father, we do ask boldly that you would bless us in 2019. And that you would comfort us in our our pain and our suffering. And that you would uh, bring us out into a wide open space uh, where we can find joy and comfort and hope in your gospel. And in your unending covenantal love that follows us everywhere. And we pray that um, we would grow to know you more this year. That we would love you that we would become more and more like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.